another edition of the UK Law Weekly Podcast with me, your host, Marcus Cleaver. This week we're going to be looking at the case of Commissioners for Her Majesty's Revenue and Customs and Taylor Clark Leisure PLC. And the citation for this case is 2018 UKSC 35. And the starting point here is with a group of companies that provided various forms of entertainment, such as cinemas and bingo halls. When you have such a group of related companies, it is possible that they can group together for the purposes of paying VAT, or value-added tax. And that is exactly what happened here with the Taylor Clark VAT group. Now, in 1990, there was a bit of a reorganisation, and the bingo part of the business was moved from Taylor Clark Leisure PLC, who are the respondents in this case, to Carlton Clubs Limited. At the time, this did not have much of an effect because Carlton was part of the same VAT group, but this changed in 1998 when Carlton left the group. By this point, you're probably wondering why all of this shuffling around in the 90s is important, but let's fast forward to about a decade later in 2008, when a decision by the House of Lords held that the time limit of three years for claiming back overpaid VAT from the government was too short. As a result of this, the Finance Act 2008 extended the time limit for old claims until the 1st of April 2009. Carlton were quick off the mark and even had time to revise their claim before the deadline. Taylor Clark were not as efficient and when they made a claim in September 2010, it was rejected by HMRC. Interestingly, the reason for the rejection was not purely on the basis that the claim was out of time, but also because the older claims had already been assigned to Carlton. This opened up a legal question about whether Taylor Clark could essentially ride in on the coattails of Carlton's claim. In other words, if they were all part of the same VAT group, then why should Carlton's claim not also represent a claim on behalf of Taylor Clark? The tax tribunals did not accept this argument, and found that not only did Taylor Clark fail to make a claim in time, but also no such claim had been made on their behalf. Nevertheless, the issue was successfully appealed to the inner house of the Court of Session in Scotland, on the basis that as Carlton was the representative member of the VAT group, they embodied the entire group, which is, as we mentioned at the start of the episode, considered to be a single person for the purposes of paying tax. Therefore, instead of splitting up this so-called quasi-persona, It was held that Carlton's claims also exist as being on behalf of Taylor Clark as well. HMRC appealed the question to the Supreme Court, which is where we pick the case up. The justices began by noting that the EU directive on this subject is not especially enlightening, as it does not specifically require member states to implement a particular tax regime. This is often true of EU directives that are more interested in the goal to be achieved, than the legislative means of getting there. Instead, then, we have to look at UK law in the form of the VAT Act from 1994, and it's section 43 that makes it clear that the VAT group is not a quasi-persona, but rather the representative member is equated with the whole group. For example, section 43.1b states that, quote, a supply of goods or services by or to a member of the group shall be treated as a supply by or to the representative member, end quote. 
The logical conclusion that must be drawn here is that the liability owed by HMRC to the group is a liability owed to the representative member. Applying all of this to the case at hand, the Supreme Court unanimously found that Carlton did not make its claim on behalf of Taylor Clark, and there are four main reasons that support this conclusion. Firstly, and most obviously, by the time that Carlton made its claim against HMRC, it had not been part of the VAT group for more than 10 years. Secondly, with regards to Carlton as a distinct and separate business, that company had already submitted its own claim in respect of the period after 1998, when it had left the VAT group, so the present claim appears to be made as the representative member of the group. Supporting this conclusion, the third point is that Carlton used the VAT registration number of the Taylor Clark group. However, I think the most convincing argument that Carlton were acting as the representative member of the VAT group was that the claim covered a period all the way back from 1973, before Carlton was even incorporated in 1990. All of these reasons, alongside the reading of Section 43 of the VAT Act, make it clear that Taylor Clark's claim has to fail. Now, before we move on to analyse this case, I want to explore one of the other interesting arguments put forward, that Carlton were Taylor Clark's agent in this matter. It follows that Taylor Clark were the principal and able to ratify the actions of Carlton after the fact in order to benefit from them. The Supreme Court rejected this on the basis of Carlton's lack of authority to act on behalf of Taylor Clark, whether that is at the time or indeed after the fact. That casual dismissal of the argument is itself not very convincing because it doesn't really tell us why that authority does not exist or why it is not possible to imply it into the relationship between the parties. The idea that Carlton acted solely for their own benefit is not necessarily implied by the facts of the case, and a more generous ruling was not out of the question. There is a better argument that the statutory VAT group under section 43 precluded an agency relationship based on a reading of the legislation, but Lord Hodge, who provides the lead judgment, doesn't go down that route. Even then, this might be hard to justify as both Carlton and Taylor Clark were part of the same VAT group, so it is not beyond the realm of possibility that one company might represent the other in any given transaction. In the end, this decision has the potential to be quite influential, as there are a number of other cases relating to VAT groups that are also currently working their way through the courts. These include substantial companies like MG Rover, Standard Chartered and Lloyds Bank, those companies were not allowed to intervene in this case because their claims relate to slightly different questions, in particular the consequences of a VAT group dissolving and which companies are entitled to make a claim against HMRC. Nevertheless, the ratio in this present case, that a representative member acts for the group, will impact on our understanding of VAT groups, including how they are constituted and how the VAT Act should be interpreted in light of this interpretation. Overall, a constrained approach does feel a little harsh, as it was the fault of the government in the first place that meant the companies were not given the proper time to make a claim, therefore breaching EU law. Now that facility is there thanks to the 2008 Finance Act, HMRC are once again seeking to restrict the amount of money they have to pay out. This is not to blame the Supreme Court, who are simply 
applying the law in a way that is consistent with the legislation, but the sheer lengths that HMRC are going to in order to defend themselves across an entire series of cases raises questions about their application of resources, as well as the design of the legislation in the first place. If the means of recovering VAT was drawn up in a way that was consistent with existing legislation, or the status of VAT groups had been properly established, the chances are that we would not be left debating the answers before the Supreme Court instead. Well, thank you very much for tuning into this episode, and thanks as ever to bensound.com for the theme music. Before we finish today, a couple of shout-outs to do, especially for people who have uh, taken the time to leave iTunes reviews. Um, First of all, to Fredita, who left a very kind review and uh, a lovely comment, so thank you very much for that. And also to Rich Connor, who, if it's the Rich Connor I'm thinking of, um, special thanks to you and congratulations on completing your law degree very recently. Um, I know I saw the certificate on Twitter um, and that was amazing. So congratulations to you. Also, a quick reminder from me that you can now get the complete set of videos and PowerPoint presentations on commercial law from my website. That's uklawweekly.com. Um, and I think if you want to navigate to it, it's a slash videos slash commercial. Um, there's also a video on YouTube that explains it and gives a introduction to commercial law within that as well. So uh, make sure that you check that out. And if you are doing commercial law this year as part of your degree, then hopefully that will prove to be very useful for you. Anyway, I'll be back with another case next week. But for now, bye!